Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Reeves holding. James comes out of the pack. James on the drive. Goes inside. Stop. Shot locked. Gets it back. It's over. It's over. Denver makes history. The Nuggets are going to the NBA Finals for the first time in franchise history. We'll see what happens going forward. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. And um, just for me personally, going going forward with the game of basketball, I got a lot to think about. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. In a matter of minutes, we'll be joined by Trevor Lane from LakersNation.com to talk about the Lakers and the end of their season. We have been talking about stupid rules and rules that you would change if you had the opportunity to as the NFL has today with the fair catch rule kickoffs you can now fair catch them and take them at the 25 I think that's dumb but that's just me we got a text on our don'tbebroke.com text line from Fabian it said Q and DeMond stupid rules how about the stupid rule allowing the scrum not the Philly play where the quarterback lines up behind the center and two other players are on either side of the quarterback pushing the quarterback into the end zone but I'm talking about the pile once that pile or scrum starts call the play dead I can agree with that one so many times you see all of a sudden the scrum, everyone's standing up, and it's pretty much done. And then all of a sudden, 18 guys come and push from behind. And it's not literally 18, but you see a bunch of offensive linemen push from behind, and then you see another four or five. I can, I can see that. You want to talk about safety, go ahead and call that, call that dead. Once, it's, once everybody is standstill, go ahead and, and call that, uh, that dead. I, I could agree with that. And then also the text goes on to say, as for DeMond and the Titans, DeMond, who was the player that stopped Kevin Dyson on the goal line in that Super Bowl? It was former Raiders linebacker Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. That's from Fabian. So thank you so much for that text. And, yeah, I remember that. I remember saying that exact things, that thing when Mike Jones made that, uh, made that stop at the goal line. I was like, oh, hey, he was a former Raider. Must be nice to be in a Super Bowl. <laughs> Must be nice to be in a Super Bowl. But, uh, yeah, that, that was that. And so that was a tough one for any Tennessee Titan fan not named DeMond because DeMond was so young. Didn't really matter. Also, Sir Whiskey Ray chimed in talking about the Lake Show. He said, I had to chime in on my Lakers. We absolutely laid a goose egg to Denver. The better team won, and I've got no excuses. The Nuggets look like they are on a mission for the championship. Congratulations to the Nuggets and their fans. They put a major beat down on my Lakers. It's official. I'm drinking my sorrows tonight after rewatching. <laughs> Vanderpump rules. That's from Sir Whiskey Ray. And then also, P.S., I hope Mama Q is okay after last night's series defeat as she is a big-time Laker fan as well. And yeah, she's all right. She texted me and said, didn't I call it? I said it was a 4-0 sweep, and she did. She called it. She knows her, uh, her Lakers very well, so she knew what was up. She knew what time it was. And look, I thought that they were going to lose back against the Grizzlies in the first round. Obviously, they did not. Uh, so I got to give them a lot of credit. And really, instead of me even bashing them or saying, oh, what a, you know, what a no-show that they had against the Nug- Nuggets. I'm kind of with Sir Whiskey Ray. Like, man, that was just a better team. The Nuggets were fantastic. The Lakers weren't able to get it done. But uh, it's not from lack of effort because LeBron sure did leave it out there on the court last night. And joining us now on the phone lines from LakersNation.com to talk about it is our good friend Trevor Lane, who's been with us all playoff long. And, Trevor, thanks so much. I do appreciate you, and we appreciate you each time you join the show. And the season has finally come to the end for the Lakers. Uh, LeBron did everything he could last night, just wasn't enough to get it done. How would you kind of summarize the, the Lakers' run throughout the course of the playoffs this year? Well, I mean, obviously there's, there's disappointment that they didn't go farther, that they didn't get through the Western Conference Finals, certainly getting swept there was not what they wanted to see. But when you take a step back and you look at the context of the, of the season, I mean, going from the 13th seed at the trade deadline to being the 7th seed entering the playoffs to – 
you know, defeating the reigning champs in the Golden State Warriors, making it all the way to the Western Conference Finals. I think it's been really impressive. Um, again, the near term is, is disappointing to get swept by the Nuggets, but uh, but big picture, I, I don't think you could ask for much much more if you are a Lakers fan pre-trade deadline. If you told me, hey, you were going to see this team go all the way to the Western Conference Finals, people would have been signing up and, and super happy about that. So uh, I think overall it was a, a success even if it ended in a little bit of disappointment. No, I, I would agree with you 100% on that. Again, I was surprised that they were still playing, right? And I think a lot of people were surprised they were still playing. But there they were, matched up with the Nuggets. And, and just like our, our texter, Sir Whiskey Ray, said, the Nuggets were just a better team, and they very well could end up being the world champs. But as far as just the matchup, what made it so difficult? What made Denver so hard to deal with, with, the, with the, when it comes to the Lakers? Well, I think it was their shot making. I mean, it seemed like every single time the Lakers tried to make a push, Denver would respond with just some insane shots. I mean, Jokic hitting, you know, shot put style shots from behind the three point line that he's just flinging up there, and, and he's getting them to drop. He's incredible. Uh, they did not have a bad shooting game the entire series. It was amazing. I mean, even when the Lakers defense—that was the question going in—was the Lakers defense, which was the top rated defense, against the Nuggets offense, which was the top rated offense? Could the Lakers slow down that offense? And the answer ultimately was no. Every single time the Lakers tried to get a stop, they just couldn't do it. The Nuggets just kept scoring. Jamal Murray went nuclear a few times. You had a number of other players, Contavious Cobalt Pope, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon was hitting threes in game four. Uh, everybody was contributing to that Nuggets team. That offense was just clicking on a, on a very high level. As far as Coach Ham goes, do you think that he looks back and, and second-guesses himself or even regrets not changing up the starting lineup earlier than game four? Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, there was it was pretty clear what your best starting five was. It was clear going into the series. We talked about it, but it was probably going to be uh, a really Hachimura series. It was going to be more of a matchup for him, certainly than the previous one against the Golden State Warriors, where they went small. And yet the Lakers started off the series trying to go small in game one. They got crushed on the offensive glass to start that game. That certainly was a mistake. And then just waiting a bit too long to really try to do throw caution to the wind and put your best guys out there on the floor for the bulk of the game. And obviously it didn't, it wasn't enough to get them win in game four, but maybe that would have given them wins in, in game two or game three. Uh, so I think he did wait a, a bit too long and he probably will second guess himself quite a bit, but that's also just the nature of coaching, right? You're always going to go back and second guess some of the moves that you made if, if it's not successful. So I'm sure it's something he'll look back on, but uh, I, I still think Darvin has grown a lot over the course of the season. We've seen, a lot of improvement from him, and this will just be another learning experience. Trevor Lane, LakersNation.com, is joining us here on Radio Nation Radio 920. And I say, Roughness, DeMond's got one for you. I was watching an interview today with Coach George Carl, the former coach of the Nuggets, and he, one of his observations about Anthony Davis was he's just not an everyday superstar. Is Laker Nation starting to get that feeling that he's not going to be that guy to carry the torch after LeBron retires if, he, when, if and when he does? Well, that, that's definitely been the case this season. I mean, back in 2020 when they won the championship, he was a night-in, night-out offensive force, and we saw that particularly when the three-point shot was falling, the mid-range shot was falling. This season it's been a bit different, where he has these off-night and on-nights um, in terms of his offensive production. Defensively, he's great every single night. I thought he was the best defensive player in the postseason. He was phenomenal. But offensively, he has these, these kind of disappearing acts, and that's certainly concerning if you're going to make a guy your, your 1A, your talisman, your guy that you're going to build your team around. Uh, that's, you, he's got to be a nightly 20-plus point contributor, and he just hasn't quite been that for the Lakers, at least not 
in an efficient way, at least not the way you would expect him to. I thought it was a bit of a low-energy game, which was bizarre from him last night, particularly when LeBron was, was exerting so much energy to try to win that game. So I think there's plenty of concern there. And if you're the Lakers, if you're the franchise moving forward, and you're thinking, hey, a year from now, two years from now, whatever it is, we're going to have to transition to a post-LeBron era, I think the reality is that you're going to have to find someone else to come in and at least be a co-star with Anthony Davis, if not the true 1A alpha star, and let Anthony Davis be in that secondary role. I don't know that he can be the guy on this team moving forward and, and pull them to, say, a championship in the future. When it comes to finding that co-star, the Lakers, they have those worries about who they're going to bring back next offseason. Austin Reeves, what do you think is going to be that market that's actually going to be You don't like him, him, do you? I just said, what's the market going to be for him? Maybe someone wants to throw him like five mil, a hundred million. I don't know what the market is for him. You always talk about you. Hold on. Q's always like, yo, you got to prove it to me. I need more than just a small sample he's size. He's proved it all this year, brother. This guy had one good year. Yeah, he's proved it, One man. good playoff series. And now somebody's going to throw the bag at him? Not me. <laughs> I, I think Austin is going to get a. He's gonna. I mean, he's been phenomenal all year. He's been incredible, incredible when he's uh, in terms of his shooting, his scoring efficiency has been amazing. He's come up big in the clutch, and he certainly didn't shrink from the spotlight in the playoffs. There were a number of guys who did. He certainly did not. He's going to get paid. Somebody's going to come along. The Lakers are limited. They can offer him four years, fifty-ish, fifty-three million or so. That's what they can offer him. That's the most they can. They can match any offer that comes in, though. It wouldn't shock me if somebody came in and offered him four years, $70 million, $80 million, something like that. I think the Lakers should probably match it. I mean, this is a guy who's been probably their third-best player uh, for the bulk of the season, and he's been absolutely fantastic. His skill set fits great with LeBron, with Anthony Davis. Uh, I think somebody's going to give him some big, big money because he's shown that he can score the ball very efficiently. He can operate an offense. He can do a lot of things on that end of the floor, and he's not bad defensively either. So, that versatility, I think, is going to uh, be handsomely rewarded in, uh, in just a few months here. I'll tell you right now, all that matters is Mama Q has chimed in on Austin. Oh, no. She said, love Austin. That's all she had to say. Mike drop. She <laughs> like loves it. Austin. That's from a Laker faithful right there. That is a diehard Laker fan. So, Damon, you're overruled. Hey, I just said that I don't know who's going <laughs> to throw the bag at him. Like, I knew that the, the little mention about, hey, they can only offer him $50 million, but what if some team says, we want him so bad, we're going to give him – Four years, $100 million. When do the Lakers say, you know what, we're out of the Austin Reeves sweepstakes? Well, Yeah, that'll be interesting. I think there, there, there would have to be a, a breaking point for the Lakers. But what we've heard so far is that they're willing to match any offer, all the way up to his maximum offer. Um, but, again, though, that's, that's what they should be putting out there right now, mm-hmm. even if that's not true. They could be, that could be a total lie. Right. They should be putting that out there right now so that other suitors – you know, don't bother giving him that that big offer. But nonetheless, that's that's what we're hearing at the moment is that they're they are determined not to let him go. Again, we're talking all things Lakers right now with Trevor Lane from LakersNation.com here on Raider Nation Radio nine twenty. So, what does the you know the roster look like? I know Kyrie Irving was in attendance last night. Is there any chance that Kyrie and LeBron team up next season? Yeah, I mean it's it's possible, but the path to get there is very very difficult, very hard to get him to LA. I mean either. Kyrie would have to take a massive pay cut and sign as a free agent, which would require the Lakers to most like, I mean, unless he's willing to come play for like $7 million or something like that, which isn't going to happen, he would have to take like a $10 million plus pay cut, and the Lakers would have to gut their roster. No, goodbye Rui Hachimura, goodbye 17th draft pick, goodbye Jared Vanderbilt, you know, just everything would have to go, except for LeBron 
and Anthony Davis. Maybe you can keep Austin Reeves because he has a really low cap hold, and then you could pay him later. Um, but you could go that route and get him, but then you've got a really thin roster. Or you could try to execute a sign-in trade, which that would require the Dallas Mavericks to play ball with you on that. They'd have to want, say, D'Angelo Russell, and then that would also trigger a hard cap for the Lakers, which would greatly limit their ability to build out the roster. So um, it's, it's not impossible, but either direction, you would be left with a team essentially of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, and not a lot else. Maybe it would be an Austin Reeves or someone like that, and then a lot of veteran minimum players to round out the rest of your roster, which from what Rob Blake has said today, it doesn't sound like that's their plan. But who knows? We'll see. If LeBron really wants that, maybe that's the path we wind up going down here. You know, you mentioned D'Angelo Russell. How much did he hurt his stock with the way he played this uh, this playoff series? Because it wasn't too good. No, I think quite a bit. You know, he was a 40% and up three-point shooter for the Lakers this season and then really struggled, shot 13% in the final four games from deep uh, against the Denver Nuggets and, and was completely played off the floor. So not a good look for him. He will enter free agency. He's talked about ideally liking to stay with the, with the Lakers, but we'll see what that looks like. I mean, there was a point where we were talking about him getting, you know, $30 million, $25 million, something like that. I don't know what that contract's going to look like now. You know, we can be uh, prisoners of the moment sometimes. He didn't play well in this series, but he played pretty well the rest of the season for the Lakers. But still, I'd, I'd have to imagine that this is going to lower his value a decent amount when he gets to that uh, that free agent market come July. The Lakers can give him an extension all the way up until the end of June, all the way until the league calendar flips over. So we'll see. Maybe they come to an agreement, but I'd have to imagine that this this probably hurt him fairly significantly. Speaking of stock, are the Lakers bringing Tristan Thompson back? I mean, those were ten <laughs> minutes that the crowd was going crazy, right? No. Yeah, yeah, that was that was fun. That was fun <laughs> to see him out there. You know, he he did well. For a guy, he hadn't played in an NBA game like in a in competitive moments in a year, and he was out there flying up and down the floor, had a had a dunk, and you know did some did some good stuff for that. I'm sure if he if they want to bring him back, they can do it. Uh, he's still somehow in his early 30s, so potentially they they could bring him back if they wanted to, and probably wouldn't cost him uh, much to do it. All right, now getting to the real story from last night. I know that the Nuggets are going on to the finals, but it was LeBron saying he doesn't know how much longer he's got left. And I thought that he would, with about three minutes left where he was going to his ankle, I thought that he was severely hurt, but he stayed in the game. Do you think that LeBron is actually going to, going to retire? I don't think he's going to. I think that that was the frustration, the emotional toll of the season, of the game. You look at everything the Lakers had to go through to get to where they were. Um, and then him, I mean, pulling out all the stops, playing essentially the entire game, the performance he put on, and then to still not get the job done. I think it was the frustration with all of that more than anything else. And, and people have speculated maybe it's a little bit of you know putting pressure on the Lakers front office and things of that nature. Certainly could be. But I just have a hard time thinking that, that LeBron would walk away at this point without getting you know the final send-off, without getting uh, all, of, all that comes with that in addition to the money that he'd be walking away from on his contract, which is significant. He's got like $100 million left on his, on his deal. So that's a lot of money to walk away from as well. I, just, I don't see him leaving at this point. I mean, he even mentioned it. He said, look, he, he still feels like he's better than 90 or 95% of the league. And if that's his mindset, and I don't think he's wrong in that, why would you, why would you call it quits at, at that point? Unless he just has totally lost his passion for the game or something, which... Doesn't seem to be the case. So I think it was just kind of an emotional reaction in the moment. 
and uh, I would imagine that we'll see him back next season. But until we get something official, you just you never know. Right, exactly. I agree with you 100%. I don't think we've seen the last of LeBron. But, Trevor, as, as we get ready to wrap up, I did want to ask you just about that performance. I mean, the dude played the whole game outside of four seconds. He went and had 40 points, damn near a triple-double. Again, it wasn't enough to get it done. But how would you summarize that in just all-time great performance, especially the first half when he dropped 31? Yeah, I mean, he was was absolutely phenomenal. I think he ran out of gas at the end, but what what a night from him for a guy who's 38 years old to be able to do the things that he was doing. Incredible stuff from from LeBron. Um, it, it seemed like he was really leaving it all out there on the floor. And I think had the Lakers won that game, Game Five would have been a disaster. Right. I mean, they they would have gotten blown off because LeBron had nothing left mm-hmm. by the end of that game. And so I think that Game Five would have been they would have gotten crushed had they won one game for us. That's any solace at all. But um, just seeing him give everything that he possibly could in that moment, it was almost like a mini version, not nearly on the same level, but like a mini version of Kobe in the final game of his career when he went for 60. Mm-hmm. It felt like that when LeBron knew, hey, this is my last performance of the season. I don't think he's done, but I'm going to empty the tank right now and I'm going to throw everything into this game and try to get this one so we don't get swept. Um, it, it was really, really impressive what we saw from him. And, uh, and man, you just got to tip your cap to him. He was, was absolutely phenomenal in that game. We look at LeBron as being superhuman at times, but the injuries are starting to catch up to him a little bit. Is there an official injury that he was dealing with throughout these playoffs? We, I mean, it's the foot injury, the tendon injury in his foot. He did say that he's going to get an MRI on it, and then they'll, um, they'll make a determination whether or not he needs to have surgery. He found a doctor that said, you know, you don't need surgery. Uh, that allowed him to come back on the floor, but you could see it. His explosiveness wasn't the same as it was pre-injury. So it's still possible that they go in there now and they see that that tendon has not healed the way they wanted it to, and he has to have foot surgery. But, yeah, he was, he's managing an active injury at the moment, which makes it all the more impressive that he did what he did. Yeah, he was impressive. He really was. I got to give him a lot of credit, even though it was a loss. I mean, he left everything, like you said, out there on the court. So, Trevor, I'll ask you this question. Uh, What do you think, man? Denver, Miami, the finals. I know Miami hasn't sealed the deal yet, but I don't see Boston coming back. It looked like a team that quit on Sunday. Uh, What do you think? Uh, Who do you think is going to win this, uh, win the Larry O between Denver and Miami? If it does come down to Denver and Miami, I've picked against Miami in every series, and they proved me wrong in the way. So I feel terrible doing it again, but I'm, I'm going to say Denver gets it done. I think they just have more firepower, and I'd have Denver getting it done in six games. But, again, if the Miami Heat prove me wrong again, so be it. They, they've been phenomenal. It's been a great story. I think I'll be rooting for them in the series, mm-hmm. but I think Denver uh, ultimately gets it done. There you go. Good stuff. I think I'll be rooting for Miami as well, but I'm with you. Denver just looks like the best team in the league. It's not really even close. Uh, what, the, what, what Jokic is doing, what Murray's doing, and role players are stepping up, playing a major role as well. They're just a phenomenal team, and so there's no shame that the Lakers lost to them, even being swept the way that they're playing. So great stuff, Trevor. It's always been uh, great to catch up with you. What do you got coming out? LakersNation.com. We should be on the lookout for Oh, all kinds of stuff on the offseason, on trade targets, on free agency, what the Lakers do from here, who they keep, what do they do in the draft. There's tons to get into it. Uh, the action actually picks up during the offseason, as crazy as it sounds. But uh, So we've got a ton going out over on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Lakers Nation, and, of course, the LakersNation.com uh, website and the podcast you can find uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Lakers Nation. And uh, we're there five days a week and, until we get the dog days of the offseason. We'll slow down a little bit. 
But for right now, we're five days a week. You can get all your Lakers talk right there. You mentioned trades. Is Trey Young a real possibility, or is that just being thrown out there? I think it's just being thrown out there. Okay. I don't see the Lakers just having enough assets to go get him. Gotcha. I mean, they can throw in a couple of picks and things like that, but I don't think they've got enough to go get him. Um, but you know what? That's the kind of thing that it never hurts to make a phone call and find out. But I'd be shocked if that was if that wound up going down. Right. I would, too. But there you go. It's always going to be out there, and the Lakers are always going to attract star names at the very least. So, Trevor, great stuff as always, my man. I definitely appreciate you. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. There he goes. Trevor Lane, LakersNation.com, at Trevor Lane on Twitter, and has joined us throughout the course of the whole playoff run for the Lakers. And so it's been a lot of fun catching up with him and continuing to, to follow this. And, and I'll say that, man, LeBron, I can I cannot criticize what he did. Even though he threw up 31 points in the in the first half and only nine in the second half, like Trevor said, I mean the dude just ran out of gas. And for the rest of his team not to pick him up and 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 say, you know what, we're gonna match his energy or maybe even play a little bit stronger, shame on them, because he balled out. There was a point for me when Anthony Davis got the putback dunk. That's I had them, oh, they're gonna win this one. They tied it up. Denver has to take the timeout. Yeah. I thought, hey man. This is their game to win. And then just down the stretch, they just didn't have it. There's two things I believe in in the NBA, and I'll go to my grave and believe in this. The Joker getting a triple-double, they're going to win that game. And the Warriors getting 100 points first, they're going to win that game. Those are the two things in the NBA I'll go to my grave and believe. And you know what the Joker had last night? <laughs> a triple-double. So as soon as he hit that, I said, oh, that's that's LeBron had a hell of a performance, but it's going to go for not. Is that one of those stats where like they're like 25 and one when he gets it? Do you? Yeah, you, basically. Bones? No, no. I mean, well, that too. But it's 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 basically go back and look at the numbers. When the Joker gets a triple double, they win. That's just that's just what it is. And they do it all the time. I mean, he broke Wilt Chamberlain's record of triple doubles. Right. I mean, Wilt Chamberlain. That's huge. And then again, when you go back to the Warriors, when they score 100 first. They win more times than not. So if you go back throughout the playoffs and see all the games that they lost, guess what? The other team hit 100 first. Just what I'm saying. I know what I'm talking about. All right, I'm going to look that one up, man. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, I like yeah, yeah. Go on, do, something, do something good with yourself, man. Do something good for your country, man. Go on look it up. 421 is the time. We'll come back. We'll take a quick break. Get to your calls and texts. Plus, we got Seth Walder from ESPN. He's going to join us at, at 430 or 430-ish to talk all things power rankings as it stands in the NFL. The Raiders come in 20th. We'll talk about that and a lot more. It's Raider Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. In just a few minutes, we'll hear from Seth Walder from ESPN. Talk about the power rankings that they have out. Raiders are there at number 20. The Broncos at number 13. I'll never understand the Broncos hype. I feel like every year, and I could probably go on a rant about this, I won't, but I feel like every year the Broncos are always expected to be really good. 13 and the Raiders rank 20th. I don't see it. I know Sean Payton's there. I think he's going to make them better. I don't see them being that much better than the Raiders year one. But that's just me. We'll talk to Seth coming up in a few minutes. He's got the Chargers there at number seven and the Chiefs there at one. But the Chiefs are not the Super Bowl favorite. Actually, Greg Salerno's Eagles are the Super Bowl favorites. And I question that, not disrespecting Greg, but I I, I question that because they've lost so many people, coaches and players this offseason. And it's a Super Bowl hangover, and that's a real thing. So what do you think? Well, I I think people are um, overestimating the player part because I believe 
you know, in the draft, who thought they were going to get Marcus Epps is the is the key to everything that was successful <laughs> for the Eagles in 2022. Marcus Blanken Epps. Well, that's what I'm reason. saying. Like, if you look at the draft, they got Sidney Brown, they right. got you know Nolan's. They have all these guys. You know, yeah. Jalen Carter. Uh, they already drafted last year. They had Davis on the team already. They have the entire you know Bulldogs defense over there. So right. I think the one thing that you mentioned though that will be a bigger issue than people realize is the coaching. Yeah, I because agree. Steichen. I mean, he made that entire offense yep. with Jalen. Yep. And, I mean, it's not just in, you know, and not every team can do that offense. They've tried it, and it doesn't work, you right, know, as, right. as, as well, well. Indianapolis is going to try it now. Exactly. But, yeah. I mean, it was a well-oiled machine. Yeah, yeah. And can another coach just come in and, and just take over? And, I mean, he was calling the plays as well. Sirianni wasn't calling the plays. Right. So, I think it's going to be that, – that will be the biggest test, I think, is the new coaching right. rather than the players. I feel like as far as the roster, they're still kind of stacked. Yeah, I, I, could, I could agree with that. And offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are both gone. On. Defensive coordinators in Arizona as the head coach. That'll be interesting. Uh, and then, yeah. uh, as you mentioned, Steichen being out there in uh, in Indianapolis. Now he's working with Anthony Richardson. So there you go. We'll talk to Seth coming up in a matter of minutes. I did want to hit a couple texts that we get on the WBroke.com text line at 69187, keyword r This is from the 707 talking about the Lakers. The Lakers were absolutely loaded with young talent before LeBron forced them all out. Brandon, Brandon Ingram. D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, Jordan Clarkson, and a few other good role players. If they had kept those guys instead of training for AD, they'd be set up for post-LeBron era. That's from the 707. And I always thought Lonzo Ball was very overrated. Always thought he was very overrated. And you see he hasn't played now in a while. Kuzma is, eh, okay. Julius Randle, I, I like his role in New York. I don't think he's a superstar. But he is, like the texture says, a really good role player. And uh, I, I didn't like all the trades that they made for AD either, all the players that they basically forced out for AD, because I never thought AD was just that dude. I never thought he was that big of a difference maker. Defensive player, sure. But as you're seeing inconsistent, he's, he's so frustrating. When I watch him, I get frustrated myself just watching him. And I don't think that I've ever been really that frustrated watching someone that's not on a team that I root for. But he is just a, a weird, frustrating player. So uh, there's a lot of truth to that text right there about the Lakers having a lot of young talent before they went all in on AD. But they got their ring. They did get a ring in the bubble, so, I mean, I guess they could say, hey, it was all well worth it because in the end of the day, LeBron is about winning championships and the Lakers organization is about winning championships. Uh, Jim from Yonkers hit his back and said, going back to the kickoffs, talking about the rules that we've been talking about on the show today, returners let the ball roll out of bounds on purpose, getting the ball at the 40. I could be in the minority, but I don't like it. If the ball lands in play, it's the returner's job to return it. If the kicker kicks it directly out of bounds, then it goes to the 40 like it does now. When a putter punts and the ball rolls out of bounds, that is where you get it. Should be the same for kickoffs. I think the holding penalty in the Chiefs game was a fourth quarter makeup call against Koontz. Oh, that's right, it was. Chiefs went up 30 to 23 and failed on a two point conversion. So the Raiders scored and went for two, and we, we all know how, how that happened. Uh, I thought we won that game. That might have been uh, the difference between the rest of the way. One of DC's better games. Uh, another game, they lost a big lead and came back a fourth down touchdown bomb to Devontae, then a decision not to go for it later on. Confusing. Thank you for a great show. Uh, the Air was a good movie. Oh, he said that uh, Air, the movie, was a good. I didn't think that was. I didn't even see it. But I, I, Greg, Greg, you gave it the okay. It was okay. It was one of those movies where like the acting was good, everything was good. But I'm like, this could have been a 20 minute movie. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, okay, cool. You signed Michael Jordan. Like, whatever. I mean, it's cool. Right. It's a good story. Movie, if every movie that's based on a historical event but, would be the Titanic, that didn't need no. to be Why don't you use a microphone? Yeah, yeah, we are on the radio. Hey. <laughs> this guy, DeMond's like, I'm going to yell from across the yeah, room. Yeah, my voice. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, but the Titanic, it took two hours for the boat to sink, you know, in real life. Like, I mean, the movie was like three hours long, but at least like there was a reason for the movie to be that long. That was one movie I refused to go see. Like, there was no way I was going to. I know how that ends. Yeah, like, well, yeah. That's like, that's like Lincoln. Like, don't spoil it. <laughs> it's like, I know how it ends. It ends bad. It's signing of Michael Jordan. The GOAT deserves, you know, his two-hour feature film that he's not even in. <laughs> but he's, that's what I was going to say. If he was in it, it'd be different. But, I mean, his character, you see the back of his head. That's it. I mean, it's like, I don't know. It was okay. I mean, I'm not saying it was bad. It's a, it's a good watch, I guess. It's just like, it's one of those, like, this, this meeting could have been an email type thing. You know, that's what it felt like. <laughs> we don't never have those kind around here. <laughs> they were sending emails in 83? <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. You can keep those uh, texts coming, calls coming. 69187, keyword R&R, 702-365-9200. Matter of fact, uh, we got Seth Walder coming up in a hot minute, but let's go ahead and get call number nine as well. Minnesota Lynx, Aces, the game is on Sunday. Michael Ultra Arena, 702 365 9200. Caller number nine is going to get hooked up with a pair of tickets. And we got Seth Walter coming up next. It's Rare Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Got to give a big ups to my guy Steve. Just got hooked up with a pair of tickets to go see the Lynx and Aces at Michelob Ultra Arena. Of course, rooting on those Aces, put on a 45 point whooping. The other day at Seattle, very impressed by the way they debuted without Coach Becky Hammond. But uh, this is coming up on Sunday. Uh, Minnesota Lynx at the the Aces, Michelob Ultra Arena should be a really fun out. So uh, that's that's hooked up. Those tickets are hooked up. We got more tickets on the way all week long. Matter of fact, the morning tailgate will hook it up. JT will hook it up. And I'll continue to hook it up here on Unnecessary Roughness. Joining us now on the phone lines, though, from ESPN is our good friend Seth Walder. And uh, right now the power rankings are out. The schedule release, the strength of schedule out all that good stuff and Seth you put it together thanks so much for your time I do appreciate you and so as the power rankings come together how much of the strength of schedule the offseason moves just the draft picks how does this whole formula come together for you yeah so this is our football power index and the way it works is it's pretty simple in the preseason basically what we do is we take the win totals from each team and then we look at and then we also consider the schedule of each team uh, we have a couple other factors, recent performance, changes in coaching uh, that, that are on the margins. But by and large, if you think about it like this, you know, you got a win total of eight and a half, but you're playing a really hard schedule. It's like, OK, well, we know that you must be a little bit better than an average eight and a half win team. And ultimately, what that does is it gives us a power rating, a rank of these teams which we then use to simulate over the course of the season and get not just win totals but your chance to make the playoffs and win the super bowl uh but it all stems from this 1 to 32 ranking and ratings for each team that come out of the betting market in some ways and it feels like every team that's basically outside of the top 10 i think every fan base is upset (laughs) yeah absolutely i saw some you know i got some tweets like how can you have the giants below the lions yesterday and i was like I didn't know anyone thought the Giants should be above the Lions. Right. Uh, 
Exactly. <laughs> but apparently they do, yeah. Yeah, no, I think every fan base gets upset by wherever their team is outside, like I said, the top 10. So, you know, looking at the AFC West, and of course we're here on Raider Nation Radio 920, we're looking at the Raiders. Uh, they're sitting there at number 20, right? They're the last team uh, in the AFC West. They'd be the fourth team. Uh, and I know that they have a really tough schedule this year and only won six games last year and now have a new quarterback. So how did that all kind of come together as far as uh, their their ratings and their rankings? That's right. So you mentioned the the schedule, right? And so uh, the Raiders rank, let's see, seventh in strength of schedule. And it makes sense, right? Like they're 20th in, F- in FBI rating, but they're 24th in terms of win total. Yeah, I think for the Raiders, to me, I think that there is some optimism here. Like you have Garoppolo, who has been efficient. Obviously, I think there's some limitations with his game, but he's playing with two elite wide, or sorry, an elite wide receiver in Devontae Adams, a number two in Jacoby Myers that I really like a lot. Our mm-hmm. receiver tracking metrics have liked Jacoby Myers quite a bit. And I think the offensive line is, you know, much better than it was years ago. And yeah, what's the big problem, right? It's defense. But if you're looking at on a year-to-year basis, what are what's more stable? What's more constant? It's offense. Defense is more variant from year to year, and we often talk about that in terms of good defenses that might regress towards being average. But it also works the other way, where you have bad defenses that can regress towards being average positively. Again, Seth Walters, our guest from ESPN here on Radio Nation Radio 920, talking about the power rankings and where these different teams, especially in the AFC West, are rated right now. And so uh, looking at the, the Raiders and, of course, that, Seth, that seventh toughest schedule that uh, we were talking about, three out of the first four games are on the road. I mean, if they get out to a, a, a good start, like if they were able to come out like three and one out of that, then all of a sudden you've you got to have some kind of optimism that maybe this it could be a really good year for them. It's true. Now, don't get me wrong. Like we're saying they're the worst team in the division. Uh, we're saying that they're in a division with the best team in football, with right. another top team in football in the chargers. I think of the team that really shocked me for where they ended up here was the Broncos mm-hmm. becoming in a 13th. Uh, and so we're sort of saying it's not a huge difference in terms of points. We're saying basically the Broncos are a point and a half better than the Raiders, uh, but that's not nothing. And so, yeah, it's tough. Like, the Raiders are the 20th ranked team, fourth in their division. Two spots below them is the Saints, right, where Derek Carr is now. We're saying that the Saints are the worst, a worse team than the Raiders, but the best team in that division. And so a lot of it is circumstances. Uh, which does dictate these things. You know, and the Saints, they have a really, uh, they have the easiest schedule, right? I mean, at least on paper, yes. they have the easiest schedule. Oh, my schedule. God. <laughs> this, this, this was the number that blew me away. The Saints have zero games against the top 10 teams in FPI. I mean, 10 teams were taking out a third of the league, the best third of the league, and we're saying, nope, they don't have any games against those teams. It's an extraordinarily easy schedule. And so I am telling fans right now, you're going to wake up at the end of the year. The Saints are going to have a nice win total, and you're going to think, wow, they really did it. No, they didn't play anybody, okay? They didn't <laughs> play anybody, all right? And then when they lose in the playoffs, it's going to be like, well, all right. So I'm just saying, like, we, you can all you can see this all coming, like an 11-win season for the Saints, 
and it seems like Derek Carr was the savior. And I'm just saying, like, you, why don't you try playing the Bills or the Eagles or the Bengals or the Cowboys or right. the Chiefs or the 49ers, like any of those teams. Right, or play a schedule like the Raiders have, right? Because their schedule is not very easy and a, a bye week not to week 13. So uh, they've got to try to stay relatively healthy. Now, you mentioned the Broncos, and I did want to ask about them because, as you mentioned, coming in at 13th in the ESPN Power Rankings, how much of that, even though it's a small point differential, how much of that is the Sean Payton effect? I think some of it's the Sean Payton effect, but I, I sort of imagine, you know, we're, we're taking our cues from the betting market here. So right. in some ways, it's a little bit unseen. But here's how I think about it, which is it's Sean Payton combined with a roster that has, I think, quite a bit of upside. So we know the defense is already is good. They have a star at in Patrick Sertan. Uh, they brought in Zach Allen. They have Randy Gregory, Justin Simmons. So they have good players on defense. And then you look on offense, and you say, you know what? This isn't that bad either. Because to me, Jerry Judy very quietly kind of had a breakout season last year, uh, even though Russell Wilson played poorly, so didn't show up in the box score. But uh, by our more advanced metrics, Judy did a great job of getting open. Quentin Sutton is a good receiver. Uh, they added some other receivers. This is an offensive line that was already solid. They upgraded a little bit. To me, it's like, this is a pretty good team if Peyton can get Russell Wilson back to something close to what he was. And I assume that's what the market is basically seeing, which is there's this big problem. But if you can fix the one problem, then this is a team in good shape. When it comes to your gut feeling, when it comes to Russell Wilson, how, how do you feel about him? Can he be that guy? Can he be capable of coming back to be the, the Russell Wilson that we all remember from the Seattle Seahawks? Oh, man, I am torn. I, I lean no. I think I lean no just because he really was so poor last year. We're still talking about a 34-year-old quarterback, which sounds young in the modern era, but there are players that do. You know, we have to look at, like, a longer sample. Like, there are guys that decline, and I just wonder if his, you know, did his – he has that kind of like magic ability to extend plays and then throw down field. And, uh, and it does make me look at Metcalf and Lockett and, and golden Tate and say, wow, were those guys like, did he really have something with those players where he could make this happen? I lean. No, I think there is absolutely a chance he gets back to who he is, especially with Peyton. Um, but, but if you're making me choose, I'll say no. I'll tell you, it feels like this is a big year for Russell Wilson, one way or the other, right? <laughs> he's got to. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think he survives as the starter if he plays like he did a year ago. I mean, right. You know, so I, I think I I imagine that Peyton taking that job, you know, he doesn't have he probably doesn't have the same loyalties to Wilson. He's not the one that traded for him. Got to think that Wilson is for a quote unquote franchise guy is on a short, shorter, uh, you know, has has less room for error. Yeah, I agree 100%. Again, Seth Waller from ESPN is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Uh, roughness. I uh, wanted to ask you about the Chargers. They're sitting there at number seven. How much does Kellen Moore, in your opinion, improve the Chargers' offensive attack? I don't know because I think he might. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see. Like, Here's the thing that I want to see is Justin Herbert often threw a lot of short passes in uh, his old system, and I'm wondering – was that Justin Herbert or was that the system? And I, I think that we are all assuming it was the system and I'm not totally sold. It is. I'll be, I'll be curious. Look, this is a really good quarterback no matter what though. And 
you know, maybe if they get a little bit better coaching, I think just in general, in fact, I, let me put it this way. The Chargers are a good enough team that they can be contenders. Like if we just r- ran back last season, I think, and just replayed it again a different time. And this team with, you know, it's got some stars and pass rushing. And I just think there's a chance that they can, they can kind of break through We'll see. I, but I think that it is like very much potential that they, that they could have already, like, I agree with the move to, to change offensive coordinators mm-hmm. and that could be very well could be the thing that puts Herbert and this Chargers offense and this Chargers team over the top. You know, we mentioned Russell Wilson needs to have a big year. How big of a year does Brandon Staley need to have? I mean, does this move for Kellen Moore being the offensive coordinator now, does that kind of say, all right, look, we're giving you another option here, but now you've really got to find a way to get it done offensively and defensively. Yeah, I mean, I think Brandon Staley was probably on fairly thin ice as is, so it makes sense to like, do whatever you can to get yourself in the best position possible because the one thing that that cures all is winning. So right. if he can win, then, then he'll be safe. But yeah, I think he's, I think he's on thin ice. I think if I were looking at the team, I'd say, Hey, what's going on with the defense? You know, why, how come? And, and, and I think they should be like offensively minded. This isn't, this is a team with a great quarterback. They should focus on their offense. It should be where they put their resources. Um, but I would also be saying like, Hey, Brandon Staley, you know, aren't you a defensive wizard? <laughs> why is, why is the defense not playing, not playing well? Absolutely. Again, ESPN Seth Walters, our guest here, Radio Nation Radio 920, Necessary Roughness. Just got a couple more questions for you. As far as the Chiefs, they're ranked number one. I don't think that that's any surprise, but what is a surprise is they're not favored to win the Super Bowl. So explain how that kind of shook out uh, to me. Yeah, this was a surprise to me. So we have the Eagles as a 14% chance to win the Super Bowl and the Chiefs at 13% right behind them, even though, like you said, the Chiefs are the number one team in FPI, and the Eagles are actually number three behind the Chiefs of Buffalo. It has everything to do with the path these teams have, the schedule these teams face, the path they face in the postseason. So the Chiefs have the second hardest regular season schedule. Bills are Bills are actually number three. Um, the Chiefs have a, have a difficult schedule in the regular season. And then just in the postseason, you think about all the teams that you're going to have to go through in the AFC versus what you have to go through in the NFC. It's really different. We took a look at the average AFC playoff team versus NFC playoff team. It's about a two and a half point difference. I mean, that's really large. And so what ultimately happens is we say, yeah, the Eagles aren't as good as the Chiefs. They're about a point and a half worse. But who do they have to contend with? The 49ers, a team with quarterback questions. I think they have to contend with Dallas. You know, maybe Detroit, and and who else really scares you in the NFC? Whereas in the AFC, you can just rattle off the right. teams that could give trouble, even the Chiefs, Buffalo, Cincinnati. What if the Jets hit? Right? What if Aaron Rodgers is great and the Jets are there? We just talked about the Chargers. I think Miami is a team that's really potentially dangerous. Baltimore has the potential. I think Cleveland were sleeping on their upside. So like all those teams, I didn't even mention the Jaguars. Like. All those teams are potential obstacles for the Chiefs. Yeah, no, that's true. And it's going to be interesting. The AFC is absolutely loaded. You know, it's funny, Seth, we, we have a running joke around here about the Detroit Lions because I'm one that's just not sold yet. I want to see it again. Like, I keep saying I'd rather be late to the party than first to the party. So, yeah. well, why, why are the Detroit Lions going to be the darlings that people think that they're going to be this year? I would have to think. I mean, here, here's, a, here's the number that stands out to me that I cannot, I have a really hard time shaking. 
an EPA per play, which is basically a more advanced way of, of looking at yards per play, but we're including the context of like down and distance and the clock and where you are on the field. In EPA per play last season, the Detroit Lions ranked fourth. It was Chiefs, Bills, Eagles, Lions. Oof. And if they were, so we're talking ahead of the Bengals, yeah. ahead of the 49ers, ahead of Miami, though Miami would have been ahead of Tua State Healthy, um, ahead of Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. That was with you know this combination of Jared Goff, Ben Johnson, their offensive coordinator, and uh, you know they have receivers like Alvin Roberts, St. Brown, obviously is broken out. Jameson Williams didn't play for a lot last year. He's going to miss the beginning of this year, but like they are keeping the core parts of that offense that was so successful last year. And so it's hard to say why would they not be so successful again this year? And I talked about it before. What's the, what's the thing that is most stable from year to year? It's offense. Right. And so you got to feel somewhat optimistic about Detroit there and they did invest on defense i think they will have a better defense this season it's gonna be interesting like i said it's been one of those running jokes around here everyone keeps telling me q hurry up get on the lions train and 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 i just like i said i'd rather be late to the party than the first i mean i get the party (laughs) i get the skepticism because what did we think of jared goff 12 months ago right right? and so and so what's to say that we don't think that about him 12 months from now right and and so i i don't think it's totally unreasonable to have some skepticism i think that's where fbi is like we have them 11th which i think is buying in on them being good but we're not we're not cranking it up to the chargers jets cowboys level right no doubt about it final question for you and this timing is perfect i mean today came out the the uh projected 2024 nfl draft order which team is in line for the number one pick and the raiders are, are ranked ninth right chance of the number one yeah. pick 3.1 percent chance of the top 10 pick 41 percent. it feels like seth that they're in that almost no man's land where not good enough to be great and not bad enough to be bad and get that number one pick and maybe get that game changer as far as the quarterback goes uh where would you say say sitting there at number nine how, how how should Raider Nation feel about about the team you know what I over the last I was thinking about this earlier this offseason as I've done a lot of uh you know sort of like evaluate grading teams like trades and offseason moves free agency signings I, I really I have some sympathy for the Raiders because I think they are in a difficult spot where they are not that bad where you'd really want to tear it down Mm -hmm. i think they got like to me what they signed garoppolo for like that is a good deal that's a good that is a good piece of business good value to get jimmy garoppolo they obviously have a lot i mean what i think is like the bone structure of what could be a good offense uh but they're in a really hard division and so it's like i feel like they're not that bad they're also not close to like being what i think a contender in the division so what you said, I think, is accurate. They are stuck in the middle, but it's a hard one. I think there are teams, there are other teams where you can say, "What are you, do? you know, what are you doing? You got to like tear this down, right?" Mm-hmm. Like, and it is harder for me to say that about the Raiders because they are in a good spot in some ways, uh, and so it's it's tricky for them. I think that's, that's for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt it's tricky. And that's what makes the season uh, such a roller coaster ride. And so uh, it can't get here sooner, uh, sooner enough. I, I could say that. I mean, obviously OTAs are going on this week and mandatory mini camp and training camp. And well, then it'll be the regular season. We'll see exactly what all these teams look like across the NFL. Well, Seth, fantastic stuff as always. I, I know you guys are working on a ton right now at ESPN. What, what do you got coming out that we should be on the lookout for? 
later this month, uh, we're going to, or sorry, next month, I guess uh, I'm going to have a couple things ranking all the teams. Uh, they're sort of like roster cores and Mike Clay and I are going to do a big, a big roster rank later in, in June as well, ranking every team's entire roster one to 32. There you go. That'll be a fun one. I'll definitely be locked in on that one. You and Mike both do fantastic job, fantastic work. Definitely appreciate you this afternoon, my man. Thank you. There you go. Seth, Seth Walder, ESPN on Twitter, at Seth Walder. And thought a lot of informative stuff, a lot of good stuff right there. A lot of in, uh, analytical information. Again, I'm not the most analytical type guy, but I do like to get the information because I know that it, it matters, right? And, and especially there at the end when he's talking about the Raiders are good, but they're in a tough division and a tough conference. And it's just, it's really tough to gauge where they are. And when you start looking at the draft and you say, okay, well, they're not bad enough to be right at the, at the, at the top and they're not good enough to make that deep run. And that's, well, f- first of all, that's why they play the game. So we'll see how it all shakes out. We did get a text from the 707 during that interview with Seth. I'm kind of hoping that Russell Wilson does have a little bounce back season. The last thing Raider fans need is Caleb Williams on the Broncos. And so, you know, again, it's the reason why uh, the games are played. You never know how it's going to shake out. We haven't even hit training camp right now. So this is all, you know, just kind of based off what happened last year and obviously the additions to the team. And then, of course, the the uh, strength of schedule and how the Raiders have to go play, according to the rest of the league, what they have to play as well. The Raiders three or four uh, to start the season on the road. So many thanks to our guests that we had on the show today, from John McClain to Trevor Lane to Seth Walter from ESPN, and of course you as well, Raider Nation. Definitely appreciate all the feedback. We got more Aces tickets. Wake up with the morning tailgate. Clay Baker, uh, Lindsey Brown, and Vinny as they'll take they'll start you off tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. on Raider Nation Radio 920.